Hi, this is Joe Bonamassa from New York City, New York. And today my special guest is the one, the only, I love this man, he's, he's my family, he, he's my friend, and he's my guitar mentor. We're talking about the one, the only, the great, the legendary Norm Harris from Norm's Rare Guitars. So please join us for an almost an hour of, of geek talk and some great stories about the history of someone who's been there and seen a lot in this business. What's up, Norm? Hey, Joe. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, uh, it's funny the uh, that that broadcaster. I've, I, 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 every interview that I've been doing this week, I hear you just bought a broadcaster from Norm, and I'm like, yeah, I've, I've bought a lot of guitars from you, and for some reason, this one seems to be resonating. This this one in Amos. Word gets out, man. I mean, you know, you can't do anything without everybody knowing what you're doing. But yeah, it's, but it, it's 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 an important guitar. I think I, I you realize how early that thing is, and 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 how you know it's there's not many of them, you know. And that one is the nicest one that I've ever had. Super clean, and it was owned by this guy Al Hendrickson, who played with an enormous amount of people. You know, he was a studio guitar player. And uh, he had retired and moved to Oregon. And he, when he stopped playing, he called me and said, look, I've got this guitar and uh, you know, I think it's time for me to sell it. And I've had it for numerous years and I loved it, but uh, I was a steward of it and I preserved it and right. I preserve it. But I know you're gonna play it too, which is a good thing. It's not just a wall hanger. It's not just a piece of history. It's a real guitar. It's a real guitar, yeah. Do you, did you did you find like you like like even to this day because I, I I remember being in your store when the that couple brought in their grandfather's fifty four telly that I ended up buying you know do you find did you find like within this like being in Southern California there was there was a, a, a more of a percentage of Fender guitars walking in the store um, or was it kind of mixed Well, it's a mix, but probably a lot of Fenders you know because. Obviously, the factory was out here, the Rickenbacker factory was out here. But, you know, musicians from all over the country and all over the world have migrated out here uh, to make it big in California. You know, all the studios are out here. So we get a mix of all kinds of guitars. A lot of these guys come out here to live. Some of them, things work out great. Sometimes it doesn't work out great. Right. Sometimes they sell it because they need the money. They may be remodeling a house or uh, rebuilding a house or, you know, for whatever reason, we tend to get a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and or trading up, you know, us guitar players are, are fickle in nature. It's like, you know, you know, we're, we're usually guitar rich, ca cash poor and- and that or what? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I resemble that remark. And, uh, and, you know, uh, one of the things like, like, I think I can count on, one hand maybe four or five guitars over the years that i bought and this is in long time from pawn shops and i'll tell you why when i buy if you buy a used guitar or vintage guitar that comes into your shop that there's a plethora of reasons you know the plumbing's out you know i i i want i i want i'm going to trade you this guitar for the other one that you have you know i'm i'm retiring like with the broadcaster and you know, there's a there's a myriad of reasons. 
if you're, it, chances are, if you're going to a, a pawn shop and selling it to a pawnbroker for what they want to pay, the very low, you, you know, you you're, you're down and out. Yeah. And a lot of people get taken advantage of it. It's like, I don't want to take advantage of somebody's, it, it always felt like this, like, it always had a bad vibe. You, you know what I mean? It was like so, somebody was really down and out to sell this thing to a pawn shop. Well, or they didn't do their homework because, I mean, why would they go to a pawn <clears> shop <throat> unless they needed to borrow some money quickly, right. something, you know, that came up and that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, I've years ago, I used to find some things in pawn shops that were good. Um, you know, for the most part now, you go in there and you see these guitars from overseas that are these $100, $200, $300 guitars. Mm -hmm. And if they ever get anything even that's halfway good, they think they got the Maltese Falcon there, you know, so right. uh, generally the price is going to be even more than in a store where they know what the thing's worth. Yeah. I mean, you know, how do you like, it, it's, it's interesting through how many years and decades you've been doing this, you know, it's like, you've seen the business come, you know, come from nothing and rise up to where some guitars are the price of houses, you know, and I never would have imagined that the prices would have gotten to where they are. But I mean, you know, because you come from a family where, you know, you, your dad had this guitar shop and mm -hmm. you were doing basically the same thing that I was doing, but in a smaller town. Right. Uh, so you've seen the whole thing from the get go, too. I mean, you know, I remember when you first came in, you were 12 mm -hmm. years old and, uh, you know, you wanted to look at some cool vintage stuff. And, uh, you know, it was just it, it's funny how all these things have gone in a big circle. But you've watched as this stuff has gone up in value. Mm -hmm. You've made some really smart acquisitions. You know what you're doing. I mean, anybody who thinks that you're a reckless buyer is out of their mind. I'm, you know, I, I've been, I've, I've been taught by the best. You know, uh, you know, it, uh, you and I share a characteristic. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that we have this ability to remember who, where, when, and for how much we bought something, no matter how long. You've had it. That's right. Do you remember the first guitar you bought that you spent what you have, would have thought at the time was way too much money on, but it was so nice you said, I don't care. Do you, do you remember something like that? I, I do. I remember buying a blonde .NET 335 that everybody said I was crazy. But when I first started buying and selling guitars, a Sunburst Les Paul the going price for a nice one was 800 bucks. Mm -hmm. And people would go, Norm, you paid 800 bucks for that? What are you, out of your mind? Right. You, know, you know what you could buy for $800? You gotta be crazy. Well, then they got to be 1500 bucks. And people would go, 1500, you gotta be stupid. You know how many new guitars you could buy for that? And they got mm -hmm. to be 2500. Again, they thought it was stupid got to be 5,000, 10,000. When they got to be about 50,000, people started going, you know, maybe it's a pretty good investment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, you know, and, and it's like, uh, like some of my collection I have that I bring on the road is like, like one, one of the more famous guitars you've sold me recently is this, this green sunburst 64 strap that even a guy in yeah, even a guy in Germany is like, where's the green summer? It's like, I'm like, it's getting refretted. It's coming. Don't worry about it. It's going to make its debut in the fall. And What's funny about that is that I didn't even think to call you on that because, you know, it's a refinish and it's a really cool guitar. 
but it's more player grade. And I know you take a lot of cool stuff out on the road. Yeah. There's a certain mojo with these old guitars that, you know, new ones are building some wonderful stuff right now, but whatever mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. And one of the things was, is like, you know, I posted a picture of it and like most people, like they love it and they think it's just this unique kind of like uh, um, unicorn. And a couple of people were like that poor guitar. I can't believe somebody would refinish it. It, like that and i and i always want to stop people and say listen this is this guitar was refinished probably 45 or 50 years ago in the 70s when the guitar was worth 150 dollars they didn't think it was going to be this like you say maltese falcon you know twenty thousand dollar event you know well you know i mean nobody knew and then a lot of time back in the day like in the 70s you know people would uh, come into a music store with a nice guitar and the music store owner would go, you know what you need? You need a new set of pickups for that guitar or mm -hmm. you need new tuners for that guitar. And that doesn't make them a bad guitar. And hopefully you can, you know, restore them back to mostly original and all right. that. But the ones that are left intact are as valuable as they are because they didn't get sold that bill of goods. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you know that, and it's great to have the stuff that's all original, but there are some great player grade guitars that are a lot less money that are affordable to players. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, you have to play something and it's, uh, you know, I remember the first time I, you know, I, you, you know, me, you've sold me a bunch of like tweed Fender amps over the years and, oh, really? and I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember the first time I paid $3,000 for a really, really nice tweed deluxe and i go my what am i doing i got others that but it was just you know it was like a i had this little website called tweedrescue.com and i was like I'm, I'm like a rescue shelter for all this and now i see him for like 10 11 12 000 and i just go you know it's you just you just have it you just have it in your you know like it's a you kind of have to take this this leap of faith that entrust your gut in what you're buying and if it's worth ten thousand dollars or if it's worth three hundred dollars do you still love it you know i mean you you still love these things that's right and you know i bought them because i love them and mm -hmm. i don't think anybody should buy them strictly for investment purposes and these oh. days also a lot of people are on a fishing expedition where they're right. prices that don't make a lot of sense and then sometimes they get them the dealer right know what the real prices are but some private parties sometimes they just you know put up a price and you know hope that a miracle happens and on occasion it does yeah and and you know it's it's a, it's a it's a very strange market i said everything in this market is is like ordering the surf and turf at red lobster when it says mp market price it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it now if you put a guitar up that's too high and it sits then it's priced too high. If, you, if, it, if it sells right away, maybe it was priced a little below. You know, you, you're constantly having to adjust, you know, as a, as a, as a guitar dealer, you know, you, you want to be fair with the customers, but you also, don't, you know, it's like, there's a margin you need to make. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of these things, as I say, people ask whatever prices, and sometimes you'll see something where a really beautiful one went for, say, twenty thousand dollars, mm -hmm. and some guys got one that looks like it was dragged behind a bus, and all the pickups were changed, and somebody put a screwdriver into the face of the guitar, right. 
Right. And you think, well, that one went for 20,000, so mine's got to be worth 20. So there's not, we're not dealing with direct descendants of Albert Einstein for a number <laughs> of reasons. Yeah. Um, one of the things uh, I think the folks uh, need to know is like, um, and we, I, I got like five or six things that, that, that I always said people need to know about Norm. And, and the first thing that comes to mind, and, and the most important, is, is your philanthropy. You know, you're one of the most generous people on the planet that I know. You know, I've been in your store when 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 the, the crates of guitars show up for the midnight mission and there's like 200 acoustic guitars that you bought and you give away for for, you know, Christmas presents, holiday presents for for kids and everything. You know, the the, the money you, you raise uh, for the midnight mission and also just what you do for for people in the, the, the musicians community, like 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 our, the, 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 the fellow who plays in front of your store on Saturdays. I know you gave him that telly and I know you found him in front of your favorite restaurant and asked him, hey, listen, come busk in front of my store. These are guitar people. I mean, like they don't people don't know that part, that side of you. They think it's like the really sweet thing. Well, uh, all I can say is, is that you with your, um, you know, thing that you do taking care of musicians and all that, um, you know, keeping the Blues Alive Foundation, it's the same thing. And I'm proud of you because you're doing, you know, really a, a good thing for the community. I mean, you know, I think, you know, and I know, uh, you know, we're both hardworking guys, but there's a luck element that has come into it. And we're very lucky. So if you're able to do something, um, you know, why wouldn't you do it? You know, and, yeah. and it, it really makes you feel good when you know that you're doing something for somebody else. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's, and you ask nothing in return. It's just, it's just a good deed of the day because we, like you said, we are very lucky. And one of the most profound things you said to me a long time ago, is like, listen, Joe, we were, we were, we grew up musicians and we were both one left wrong, left turn, wrong, wrong, right turn away from being, on the street yeah and it's true i mean because there's it's it wasn't a foregone conclusion that something that i did connected and people started to follow it or you know it, it's just it's success is hard work but it's also being at the right place at the right time and some just blind luck involved but you know the one thing that you know i think i've made up for whatever lack of intelligence I may have is through hard work. I mean, you just work hard and you make up for it by just putting in the hours. I mean, a lot of people think this stuff falls in your lap, but it doesn't. And, no. You know, you're out there. I've never seen anybody, including James Brown, working as hard. <laughs> you don't have to say no to anything. I mean, you're out there. I mean, you're going to take a week off. Next thing I know, you're in a different city doing something. Doing something. It's 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 something I'm working on in myself that that and I'm trying to take your advice because it's, uh, you know, again, in, in a lot of the stuff that I do outside of me dressing up in a suit is 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 stuff that I do, uh, you know, for my friends or, or charity gigs and stuff like that. And I, I really like that because it's it's just it's part of the giving back you know, process and, and, and it's good for your soul, you know, and it's, and it's, it's just something that I, I've, I've tried to do. A lot of musicians who are younger musicians that need the exposure or journeymen mm -hmm. musicians that are really good that need to be exposed to more people. And by you producing their records, by you 
getting them up on stage with you. Your, you know, your blues cruise to me is one of the coolest things ever. And it exposes all these excellent musicians to your audience and you're sharing with them. And a lot of the times it, it really makes a career. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's anything you can do to, to help out people that are working hard and, and have talent and, and the, the willingness to go out there and fight the good fight. Um, one of the other things is, on my list, and we'll get to the movie and, and everything, is your involvement in some very famous movies, including, I think, the greatest story ever told about a guitar in a movie is, is the story of the Back to the Future ES-345. Why, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about how you advise, I'll, I'll let you tell the story, yeah. So, and by the way, I want to thank you, Joe, for taking part in being a big part of the documentary that we're doing right now. And you mentioned all this, yeah. but so that guitar, it was funny. Um, the prop master came to us and knew that we had guitars from certain time periods. And they originally came in and said, we want something, you know, red with a whammy bar. It's 1955. So, uh, well, I said, well, there's, you know, maybe a Stratocaster or a certain Gretsch guitars that may have had Bigsby and that kind of thing. And um, what ended up happening was they uh, came in and the art director chose another guitar and he chose an ES-5. Okay. Uh, the day that they were going to shoot, uh, whoever was in charge said, wait a second, I want a red guitar with a vibrato arm. So they ran back to us, brought back the ES-5, um, and took this ES-345. And I said, look, they didn't come out with these guitars till 1958. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I just want to warn you. They said, we're taking artistic liberty. And uh, <laughs> they, they did that. And now I think people are a little more conscious of, you know, time periods and getting things right. But back then, you know, they figured it's a guitar. Who's going to know? And right. That was the case in a lot of movies that I was involved with. Uh, even prior to that, we did one called Bound for Glory, which was a Woody Guthrie story. Right. David Carradine came to me and he said, we want to get these instruments right. And um, they painstakingly got everything right, except at some point in the movie, he had a Mossman guitar that was made like in the seventies. Right. They pulled that out. So it was like, sometimes in the movies, it doesn't always make sense. Yeah. I mean, you were uh, one of the most famous guitar scenes in a movie is the, is Nigel Tufnell and Spinal Tap with showing off his whole collection, which was your collection. Right. So Chris Guest, who is a buddy of mine, originally he uh, was an acoustic player and it was mainly like Martins and mandolins and you know Gibson acoustics and things like that then all of a sudden he said we're going to be doing this movie and it's kind of a spoof uh about this rock band and we want to get some really cool instruments and since I know you have a bunch of cool stuff you know what can we do and uh I tried to outfit them with some really cool stuff there was a sunburst less ball of course that you know mm -hmm. um and uh they said this guitar sustains so much you can go out and have a bite and come back and it's still yeah. going. And they had the the Marshall amp where they uh, dial it up to 11. 11. 
they say to Chris, you know, what does that mean? You know, does that mean it's louder? And he goes, well, of course, you know, if 10 is 10 and 11 has got to be louder. So that's kind of a, one of the gags that they kind of made famous back in the day. Yeah. And like, you know, uh, Amos, famous Amos, the, the flying bee was in that movie. Um, it's actually, if you look at the bonus footage, he's actually got the flying bee and he's doing, he did a bit, but they ended up cutting it. And, you know, I mean, like I, 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 along with, with so many people, like when I saw that scene that made, that made you want to like, oh my God, look at these guitars, you know, it's like, look at this foam green base six, look at this, you know, whatever. And, and, and I mean, the more you see that scene, I mean, you, you, you miss the shoreline gold strat sometimes you're like, oh my God, that's a shoreline gold back there. And killer, you know, black beauty. And with that uh, seafoam green, base six you know the gag was this thing's so clean he goes don't even look at it. don't point at it you know right yeah don't do anything this thing's so clean you know don't do anything to it so you know at the time i didn't know that it would become a cult movie in fact i have a friend of mine from london uh named chris who mm -hmm. i took to the premiere of the movie and his reaction he's sitting right next to me and you know they're spoofing on the brits and yeah. all that and Chris looked over and he said, the people in London are never going to approve of this. You know, <laughs> it was a bigger hit over there, I think, than it was here, you know. So, um, you know, you just never know. A lot of stuff just happens and then years go by and then people are still kind of digging it for whatever reason. So, so Chris Guest, he wore that Norm's Rare Guitar t-shirt in the movie. Like, like that was, that was the shirt that spawned a lot of shirts, you know, that's, that's probably still your biggest seller, I would say of all the, because it's the classic one from the movie. So um, there was, they, they had a, a thing where Chris Guest and Michael McKeon were um, talking about uh, wearing the shirt in the movie and Michael McKeon says to Chris Guest, um, you know, what did Norm give you to wear that shirt in the movie? He said, no, I think he gave me like six packs of saltines and something or other. I mean, it was like, right. that's their sense of humor. And those guys are really funny. And, you know, everybody loves that movie. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're also credited on The Last Waltz, you know, the, the Robbie Robertson's double neck. Yeah. And and a lot of other instruments that were in the last waltz, you know, that were there was a one of a kind Martin 0045K Colwood. Um, there was Citation Number One, um, uh, just all all kinds of really cool movies. That double neck mandolin guitar. I was up in Sacramento, and my band was playing up there, and I walked into a music store, and there it is. And I just flipped out, and I ended up buying the guitar. And then Levon uh, kind of fell in love with it. And uh, at the end of the movie, I actually gave it to Robbie, mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting the store on the map and getting a screen credit and all that on the movie. That's so cool. I think I think that's the only cherry one I ever made. That that one was. And it's a mandolin guitar, which is very unusual. A lot where six twelve double necks or bass six string, or octaves or you know. So um, it was just very cool. And it's a thick body round cutaway, kind of like an ES-350 or something like that, but with a round cutaway. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, you become a big social media star. And I remember when you first started the, the, the YouTube, and it was, it was 
basically your 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 employees, Jen and and everybody, kind of like, hey, Norm, you're you know, let's get into this 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 Instagram thing, and now it's like exploded, you know. And I've watched you become like a broadcaster, like in the last 10, 12 years, and. And, and it's and it's it's unbelievable how many people come to me and say I watch all your videos from Norms and and watch I watch Norms videos all the time and it's become speaking of cult it's become like this cult following of people that that just tune in to see what craziness is happening on a Saturday whether it's Frank Stallone or the dog or you know it's like just unusual characters showing up. Yeah, no, it's a cast of characters. And again, it took me by surprise because, Joe, you know me. Um, I am a technophobe. I don't know how to turn a computer on. I've never texted in my life. Actually, I texted one time to mm. Frank Stallone. Um, Frank put something up and he said, uh, I don't want you to, I don't want to hear anybody using the word pussy and this, that, or whatever. <laughs> And uh, he said, if you say that, I'm going to cut you off. So <laughs> that inspired me. So I went to the thing and letter by letter, I wrote all the words that he said, don't ever say. Right. But love you, brother Norm. You know, just to kind of mess with him, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's Saturdays are a legendary day at, at Norm because you just never know what's going to happen, you know. And the, the I think the, the craziest adventure that I've been involved with has got to be the two chains um, uh, a, a film shoot uh, for the most expensivest. Yes. And you know what was weird is that, you know, I had called Rick Gould and I said, is Joe going to be in town? You know, because I mean, this might be something that, you know, Joe might get a kick out of doing or something like that. Maybe we get him to bring Amos and um, yeah guitars and stuff like that and rick said i you know i think joe's out playing i think you were in nashville or something like that and then the day before we were shooting you walked into the store i said yeah my plans have changed yeah yeah said, so, you know are you going to be in town tomorrow and you said yeah i said this is so whacked out you got to do this and you know two trains came in and what was kind of funny is that uh this show, the most expensivists on Vice TV, um, you know, they pick out things that are outrageously expensive, and mm -hmm. um, and people kind of go, "Wow, twenty five thousand dollars for a night in a hotel," and yeah, and you know, the most expensive pot in the world, and you know, it's just kind of really weird. Yeah. So you came in with uh, the Amos V. And uh, Two Chains looks at that, and I said, uh, you know, I introduced you to, to Two Chains, and uh, it was a, how you doing? And then I said, by the way, uh, Two Chains, what do you think that that flying V cost? And he said, I don't know, like $2,500. I said, Joe, uh, what did you pay for that guitar 10 years ago or 11 years ago? Right. And it was six figures. Yes. And now I have it insured for over $600,000 and right. it was just his jaw dropped. And, you know, I, you know, what struck me is it, he, 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 you know, obviously he has with that show, he has to cover a lot of ground. You know what I mean? He's got a, you know, like, you know, he's one day he's looking at the most expensive watches. One day he's looking at the most expensive, uh, you know, uh, 
collection of uh, vintage, uh, you know, uh, video games or whatever, and guitars, and you know, he was really a really good host, and he was able he was able to kind of like morph into be like he he get his head around like what we were talking about, you know, and he he could speak the language. Well, it was kind of like a clash of two worlds. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. because he's coming for coming from music, with not necessarily instruments being played. You're there. Mm -hmm with the instruments being played from a different world, but yet you're doing a similar thing. And it was a chance for him to kind of, you know, see some of the other side of it. I thought it was a really great contrast and everybody got along great. He was a really, uh, he was a good host and he's a very friendly guy. And uh, yeah, yeah, and all, my, all my road crew were jealous that I got to meet two chains. Thanks to Jen and the other people that were kind of, uh, you know, instigating. I mean, I haven't smoked pot in 30 years, but right. since he broke out of joint, I took a hit or two off his. Uh, so, you know, talk to me about uh, the. I'm not trying to be a bad influence, guys. No, no. But that was a classic moment. I mean, um, talk to me about the staff at Norm's Rare Guitars, because that's really a special team of people that 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 keep the place running. And they they especially when you had your 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 health um uh incident like last year they you know they really had your back and kept the place going i remember just coming up there randomly just to visit everybody and and making sure everybody was okay you know well you know i've got really a great staff i love each and every one of them they're like my kids and um you know they really do look out for me and also you know when i was sick the overwhelming um you know letters and cards and all kinds of stuff that were coming in I, I was going I didn't think anybody thought anything about what I do really you know it kind of really surprised me that people were you know so kind and everything I, nobody deserves I felt like Lou Gehrig you know when he did his retirement speech at the uh at, for the Yankees or something I mean it was like you know if whatever you're doing means anything to anybody and you know you just try to do the best you can and, and that kind of thing but it was like, I mean, really, it brought tears to my eyes. And these guys were fantastic. Of course, Jen, you know, does our videos and she does a great job with that. And, you know, and, you know, of course, I love her. You know, we've got Mike Lemo, who does our Guitar of the Days. Brandon, who does our Guitar of the Days. We've got Nick, who does our Guitar of the Day, who is kind of underutilized. He's a great guitar player, by the way. Mm -hmm. And um, and Graham, who's our newest employee scarlet who uh is jason sinead's daughter mm -hmm. works here. and then of course we have john and masa yeah and every one of them you know there's a tremendous amount of love um and there's a lot of other people that have worked for me on and off from time to time when they're not doing stuff like sarah rogo who you've helped out yeah. a lot yeah uh, and all that Jack Ryan Sullivan, um, this girl, uh, Evangeline, uh, Eva B. Ross, who I think is great. And, you know, a lot of times we try to get some of these people in to do videos. We have um, the Funk Father, um, Clark Sims, mm -hmm. great bass player, Roberta right. Dow, who comes in. Um, so, you know, we try to, you know, help give some of these people uh, a little bit of exposure and that kind of thing. And, you know, kind of help pick up the slack because, you know, as a musician, it's not like working for GM or whatever company. You could be working three weeks and then all of a sudden 
you don't have anything for a month, you know? Yeah, it's a fickle business. And it's, and it's, I think that's part of my fear of slowing down is because when you come up, it's like, you've got to take every opportunity because, because one, you know, you never complain that the phone is ringing too much because it could, it could stop ringing. And then you're like, oh my God, like nobody cares anymore, you know? And it's like, it, it's, it, it's, it, it triggers a weird, um, it just triggers a weird reaction, but yeah, I will say that 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 the team of people that you you have around you is like like the best of the best, and 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 it's it's uh, that it you know I always say all deals go through Norm, but but they facilitate a lot for you and help you out, which is do and you know I mean I kind of, at this point I'm sort of you know steering the ship very gently. These guys know what to do. They, I don't need to be here for them to to operate the business. They know exactly uh, what I want. And, you know, like what you were just saying before about not saying no to anything, my buddy Lee Sklar, who's like one of the most famous bass players in the world, mm. said, I never say no. He said, because if you say no, somebody else comes in, does the gig, maybe next time you don't get the call. So right. um, you just don't yeah. want to, you know, pass on something and then miss an opportunity in the future. So, well, well, uh, I got I got an advanced copy of the movie, and I will say this: it, it is one of the nicest, well, most well done documentaries that I've seen just about forever. And 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 it and it really it it really paints the picture because some people maybe from the outside be like, well, what's the big deal? It's just a guitar store in 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 tarzan it's like it, it's so much bigger than that you know like you've touched so many lives from 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 you know the the george harrison story to you know you, you know selling guitars and befriending tom petty and 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 having him come and do the the midnight mission jam with mud crutch and everything and and all of this stuff and too, you know, by the way, you know, you've helped the Midnight Mission on numerous occasions. And and I want to say, you know, the documentary, what, what happened was when the pandemic hit, my daughter went to school with uh, a young man named Devin Dilmore, who's like family to us. Mm -hmm. And Devin is a fantastic cinematographer, but everybody was kind of out of work. And right. I said, you know, it would be nice to do some type of a, a documentary or some type of a thing just to show my kids what their grandfather right and um so and i basically i said well if you want to do this fine but do me a favor don't start bothering all my friends and customers and all mm -hmm. that and then my daughter in her own inimitable way said that <laughs> that f up over yeah. and nobody refused uh you know and there's so many people that are in it. I mean, from Slash to Post Malone, to Machine Gun Kelly, Vince Gill. I, I mean, I don't want to name all the names, but you know, I'm just so grateful to everybody. Uh, Robbie Robertson. I mean, you know, just and and you were fantastic in it. And and again, you're like family to me. And uh, I like know, you. You know, sort of, you know, everything there is to know about the story. You've seen every crazy possible thing. Mm -hmm. happen. from frank stallone being mm -hmm. mounted by a dog by a dog yes <laughs> one of our videos and uh, you know frank loves animals and apparently animals love frank as well right so, <laughs> we have to pull him off but mm -hmm. uh 
but you've seen it all and you yeah. know, it's very entertaining and because everything's so off the cuff we don't we never know what might be going on but you know we'll wrap up with this is is one of, one of the things that that uh, you i figured out over the years because everybody's like because because they know we're tight you're you're my uncle right and i said well there's three levels of norms rare guitars there's the stuff that's out on the floor really good stuff that you buy and have on the wall then there's the stuff that's in the back room and then if you if you elevate you, you elevate to the rarefied air you go out and to see the crates which the crates have become like this indiana jones thing of legend and and i i said to myself even recently i said to myself i go you know because people always go, it's like, you know, Joe, you have one of the biggest guitar collections in the world. And I said, I said, you know what? I think Norm's got one of the biggest guitar collections in the world because you've been socking the good stuff away for years. Let me just say, Joe, the stuff that you've bought is so important. You really have some of the most important stuff. And, and right now, my collection, what I have, doesn't compare. At one time, it was one of the biggest, but I'm, I'm getting to a point, I'm 74 years old, I was ill. You know, I've had to kind of you know, make peace with selling some of the things. And I love, you know, when, you know, you and some of my other friends end up with some of the things that I've been kind of preserving for so many years. Right. I think that it's something that, uh, you know, makes me feel good. But, uh, and again, you know, when people go, well, Joe bought this and Joe bought that. Joe is uh, not a stupid guy. He's very smart. You know exactly what you're doing. And you're preserving this stuff, and one day it'll be a museum. And uh... yeah, and and it, it's it's uh, it's uh, to me, it's always been a healthy addiction. It is an addiction. I have to, I have to say, it is an addiction. Um, but it, it's you know, I do play stuff. I mean, you know, you've seen me with a sunburst Les Paul out in the rain, and which I said, "What are you crazy?" And your answer was. Uh, these people paid to come see me. I want to give them my best. Exactly. So there's a rumor that you, you brought in a special guest today. I did. And, uh, you know, I knew you when you were 12 years old. That's right. To the store uh, with your dad. And what happened was you were at a store in Hollywood. And apparently it was the second. I think it was the second store. It was the one on the corner with the paint because I recognized it from the movie. That was the story. It was, it was about 1989. And uh, so apparently they threw you out of this other store uh, for picking up some expensive guitars. And somebody was nice enough to say, young man, why don't you go see this guy, Norm, in the Valley? He's got some really cool stuff. You know, I'm sure he'll let you play him. Yeah, it was it was it was a it was a cranky gentleman on North Gardner Street. I remember that. <laughs> well, I don't want to mention any names, but yeah, it was a cranky gentleman on North Gardner. Yes, a cranky gentleman around, you know. Yeah. But I will say that uh, you know uh, when you came in, I recognized that there was something really special going on, and you gave me a picture, uh, mm -hmm. smoking Joe Bonamassa, and you signed mm -hmm. and Dan, who mm -hmm. were store, and right. I mean, and I still have it to this day. Believe it or not, it blew me away when you showed me. It blew me away. I was like, oh my god, you still have this. The eight by 10. Right. And so I knew something special was happening. You know, you were 12 years old and you were playing your butt off. And um, there's another young man who I'm going to introduce to you right now. Um, and 
His name is Saxon Wise. How you doing, man? How you doing? Not yet. I saw a video you playing the other day. You sound great. How old are you? Um, I'm 11. I just turned 11. He just turned 11. He's been playing for three years. Joe, I mean, I, the same thing that I said to other people when you came in, I said, this kid, there's something happening. This is like not normal. This is a phenom right. happening. This kid, I give him my 100% uh, unbelievably great. And this kid's going to be really big. Not only does he play all sorts of different styles, but he plays them really well with conviction. He improvises. He writes his own songs. He sings. I mean, he's the complete package. That's, that's awesome. Years old. It's pretty freaky how, how good he is. Uh, Saxon, could you just pick up that ES330 and just noodle a little bit for us? I just I just want Joe to hear. You've, you've seen a couple of the things. That I've seen some of the videos. Saxon, how, what got you into the guitar in the first place? Well, uh, really, it started out, I started playing drums. And okay. I was like super little then. And uh, he's huge now. Yeah, yeah. So you started playing drums. You know who else was a drummer that not many people know? It was Albert King. You can you can you can win a, a trivia contest with that. Albert Nelson, listed on Jimmy Reed Records as the drummer, and he was a drummer. So, and uh, you know the thing is, is that if you're a drummer, problem is you're always kind of depending on somebody else to play the tune, and you have to play with them. When right. you guitar and you sing and you're self-contained, you're not dependent on somebody. To make your living well he's hedging his bets you know all the girls are gonna love all the girls love the drummer or the guitar player you, you you're doing good you, you you picked the right two instruments to 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 for that all right you want to play something for us Okay. 
people that are watching this, the way the tunes are constructed, mm -hmm. this is like a 60 year old guy who, you know, I mean, these are not, you know, most kids, they learn a trick or two and that's what it is. And it's not music. This is music. He improvises. Beautiful song. Really great. I mean, you know, good lyrics. I mean, very well put together. He's a really nice young man. He's very humble. And, you know, just stay like you are. I mean, you're going to be very successful because people are going to want to be around you. And um, I predict some very big things. It remind me of one other guy that I used to know that was 12 years old that came and kind of blew my mind the same way. When he plays, people just, their yeah. job drops. It's, it, it, it's so great, man. I can't think of a better way to end our podcast with that. Thank you, Saxon. Thank you, Norm. You've been watching live from Nerdville. We don't do them very often, but we only do them with really special guests now. And of course, my uncle Norm, Norm Harris from Norm's Rare Guitars and Saxon Weiss um, on, on the guitar with a really great song. And uh, thank you uh, for watching, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope you've uh, enjoyed our program. I'm broadcasting from New York City and Norm's in Tarzana. Thank you for watching.